Off the ball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Download the OTB Sports app now. Off the ball daily. Welcome along to Friday Night's Off the Ball. Plenty for us to talk about. We're going to have a crappy quiz later. Uh, we're now into the fifth week in a row. Uh, we'll also be doing the quick picks at this stage. Four weeks in a row, Mick informs me. Added an extra week for free there. Uh, quick picks ahead of the All-Ireland semi-finals this weekend and the Talton Cup final. And we're keeping an eye on the rugby. We're Ireland at the moment are up against it in the final in the Athlone Stadium just outside Cape Town. Uh, France have scored the first try of the second half. They were dominant in the uh, second half of the first half, but they're leading at the moment by 24 points to 14. And France indeed have just gone over for another try in the 45th minute. So uh, the game is rapidly slipping away from Ireland and we'll be talking about a Wimbledon final that could be one for the ages Alcaraz against Djokovic on Sunday delighted to say Mick is here with me in studio Hey Will Richie's here as well How are you Rich? Well man, let's crack Not too bad um, This game is slipping away a little bit isn't it? The first 20 minutes Ireland were really good and you wondered if that was going to be a reprieve when Captain Gus McCarthy urged the officials uh, to have a look at the French try just before half time which was eventually disallowed but uh, France's power is paying off again here early in the second half Yeah and that yellow card for uh, McCarthy just before the break as well uh, kind of proving crucial because that disallowed try came almost immediately afterwards France getting the uh, next try of the match then just two minutes after half time they've added uh, another just two minutes after that again all while McCarthy is still sat uh, on the sideline so can't get back to, to full complement soon enough um, can't see Tulagi heading off the pitch for the last 20 minutes of the game soon enough because he's just causing untold damage with the amount of men that he draws towards himself and space that that leaves open then for the France for, for the France to try and exploit it's been a difficult 10 minutes either side of halftime has to be said Yeah I mean the physicality has been huge that conversion has been kicked over as well so France lead by 31 points to 14 It's funny how rugby can still produce these guys like I mean it was like Will Skelton a couple of years ago for you know when he was just unplayable that, that get to that point where it's such a physical game that like every now and then this guy comes along that's just bigger, ba- better and stronger than everybody else and it just causes unbelievable havoc and it's like becomes for those almost who don't unplayable. Know, yeah. like. For those who don't know, he's he's 18 years of age to Laggy. He's six foot five and he's 23 stone. His, uh, his thighs are the circumference of Carlo. Like the man is an absolute unit. Like it's he's freakishly big, and as the, like he's he's got legs. It's not as if he's just a a lump like Jabba the Hutt that's just flopping about in the pitch. Like he can cause damage with the ball under his arm, it's, and, and with the amount of players that he can draw to him, as I mentioned, like he's he's just almost unplayable. Mm. Yeah, look, Ireland have played some very nice rugby in the loose, but the physicality uh, from France really started to relentless. tell as that half went on. Yeah, They're relentless. Like because like, when like England obviously took a was a 17-0 lead against them or 14-0 anyway on Sunday and you were thinking Jesus maybe like you know France I'm surprised at this you know I thought that France would be dominant and what happened was that France just wore them down and by the end of the game England were just like hands up white flag scoring tries at will France were you know so hopefully it doesn't reach that point here but that is the danger with a team like this you know who are so physically dominant I know and both teams play with a certain amount of abandon it uh, probably speaks to the amount of tries that both teams have scored uh, on their route to the final but at the moment Sam Prendergast is going to have a penalty uh, just outside the 10 metre line he's kicked it inside the French 22 uh, so we're only going to have a line out from a good position but a line out Richie that's kind of misfired quite a few times during the game for Ireland as well 
Yeah, that's been the worry, um, is that when they have managed to kick themselves into rather promising positions and even not, it's just that the line-out hasn't been there. There's been a couple of instances where it's been mopped up at the back and face has been saved, albeit temporarily, but it's been the one area where it's been massive concern throughout the course of the game for Ireland. And like you'd figure, you know, you're this deep into the tournament, these things would be clicking and, and be absolutely no bother and second nature to the players and I know some of them John Devine had spoken of it prior to the game and uh, Paddy McCarthy had been another that you know they just felt like they were really in sync at the moment and with the line out especially that's proved not to be the case today unfortunately it's the worst time for it to malfunction yeah it's malfunction again and the ball then spills forward so France are going to have an opportunity here to clear their lines and still uh, a couple of minutes left on that yellow card for Ireland but maybe at this is 31-14 is going to be incredibly difficult to try and turn around uh, this is the second Second match on the pitch. I mean, it looks a bit rough again today. Um, but South Africa walk away with a bronze medal in the end, Rich. Yeah, they do indeed. To be fair, like even though this is the second match on that particular uh, Athlone Stadium pitch, like it's still a better track than Ireland played from on most of the pool matches. Uh, but yeah, as you mentioned there, South Africa took the bronze medal earlier today. Uh, they beat England by twenty-two points to fifteen in the first game of the evening. Yeah, just keep an eye again too like he's just taking the ball off the back of them all and he sucks in three would-be tacklers um, just in one movement he's such a big boy so uh, France leading at the moment very comprehensively 49 minutes so we're just coming towards the end of that yellow card and the yellow card has just come to an end France leading 31 points to 14 um, look there's still time for this to turn around Mick but a lot of people probably wrote articles or read articles during the week about the 2016 team who also got to the final in South Africa they didn't do too bad uh, you got Hugo Keenan from that team James Ryan Jacob Stockdale and pretty much straight into the Ireland senior team and you also had Terry Kendi who's gone to be a big star for the sevens and a lot of the other guys went on to play professional rugby ultimately the hope here would be Gleeson, Prendergast some of these key players play for the province ah, yeah no it absolutely is and I think that's tomorrow's conversation to be honest or even like even later tonight like as in you know and Roy O'Connor was touching on it a little bit earlier in the week about like where's the room for these guys and you know that like it's such a like we've got probably too few professional rugby teams at the moment for these like you know future stars to even get enough rugby under their belt at senior level now like and there's a whole conversation there and look hopefully we have two or three coming through and Ireland need that conveyor belt and ultimately that's what junior rugby is for and that's fine but I think tonight when they're in a World Cup final it's about the glory of tonight for them and it's about even the achievement of making the final that's worth talking about you know because there are a lot of these guys that won't go on and play professionally and it shouldn't in any way undermine the achievement of what they've got and look you know it's obviously not looking great at the moment but we should still be um, it, you know the game isn't gone France aren't like you know four or five tries ahead here like so um, I know what you mean and I think that is the conversation that will ultimately come out of this long term when we look back on the where are they nows in 10-15 years like you want four of these guys to have you know 70 caps for Ireland mm. but like again we don't know what's going to happen is the problem you know yeah, it is that chance to be a history maker there. 11 games unbeaten, uh, going back over the last two Grand Slams and going back to the World Cup last year where they lost lost against South Africa. So yeah, still um, coming up on 20 minutes left. Last years the game, they so. won the Grand Slam. Or, well, sorry, no, obviously in between, uh, France have obviously won the last two World Cups. Yeah. 
which is the big tournament at this level because it happens every year. So suddenly France have the players that don't play club rugby mm. uh, at senior level and aren't available for the under-26 nations and things become a little bit different, unfortunately. Mm. Well, I also wonder about maybe the shift in the Northern Southern Hemisphere with the amount of Northern Hemisphere teams who've done well at this tournament, but maybe a bit too early to draw conclusions at under-20 level. Um, Denise O'Sullivan, Richie, we're going to be talking to Kathleen McNamee from Brisbane a little bit later on in the programme, but obviously a huge concern over her fitness ahead of the Australia game on Thursday day after that game was forced to be abandoned against Colombia very early on earlier today. Mm. Yeah, Republic of Ireland manager Vera Powell is due to speak to the media at around 1am Irish time. It's hoped she can provide an update on Denise O'Sullivan, who was sent for a scan in a Queensland hospital on a shin injury sustained in the abandoned friendly with Colombia. The game was called off due to rough play in Brisbane after 23 minutes and the Colombian FA say they respect Ireland's decision to abandon the match. That kind of at odds with the quotes coming from uh, one or two of the players afterwards. Ireland's first group match, as you mentioned there, coming against the tournament host Australia on Thursday. Let them eat SH1T is one of the quotes coming from uh, one of the Colombian players today. Yeah, I was wondering if we were going to be able to use that quote in full, Mick. You'd be the producer to stop us from yeah, saying go for it. Yeah, you, can say, you can say the you can you can leave that word out, but if you want to read the rest of it, if you have it in front of you. So reportedly that's what she said. So they were coming back into the team hotel afterwards and some of the fans were kind of saying, nah, 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 and then she said they can eat. That's what she said. Yeah, but there was another quote, sorry, it might not be there. You can uh, I'll dig it out. Um but it was basically kind of like they're girls, they're, they're just little girls, yeah. one, girls, one yeah. tackle and then they were one, one tackle and then they, they wanted out, you know, like crazy stuff really, like a couple of days before World Cup. The most interesting thing from that, and Kathleen will talk about it more later, is the fact that this is a behind closed doors, like unofficial friendly. You barely even need a referee for these games. And there was two yellow cards before the, the tackle on Denise O'Sullivan. So before an Irish player was injured by a mad tackle, the Colombians had two yellow cards in a basically training game. Like that, I think shows you like, like that. This isn't the, this isn't the thing where like one of the Irish players got injured and they threw their toys out of the pram. Like nobody was there. We don't know what at? happened. But what is no, it's like, absolutely what, like, bananas. It's it's not as if Colombia are on a wrecking mission to go down there and just kind of disturb. Like they're in the tournament as well. Mm. Like what what are they to gain from? potentially injuring themselves like the, 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 the tackle you always come back to in these kind of instances I rely Gaza. always do anyway is, is Gaza exactly in, mm. in the 91 Cup final where he goes and basically boots Gary uh, Charles in the chest and then on an innocuous challenge into Gary Crosby does his knee and you're like either Charles or Crosby should have come off the worst in either one of those challenges and yet it was Gaza and that can so easily happen to a player like those, any of those Colombian players could have come out with a injury far worse than whatever turns out to be the results of this scan on Denise O'Sullivan so from their own manager's point of view it's absolutely brainless that he'd send out their players with that kind of mindset to go and hurt uh, fellow players on the eve of World Cup this was from an Irish perspective, as Vera Powell was going to be fielding two 11s in each 45 minutes, it was about gaining match sharpness and, and fitness and getting acclimatised to the surroundings and like just thick to be going out and, and carrying on like that. I appreciate there's a vacuum of information about mm. this because the Colombian FA decided uh, very close to kick off that they weren't going to allow the journalists in for this behind closed doors friendly. So therefore, we're relying on second-hand accounts of what's happened and statement and counter-statement. But... The fact that they called the game off after O'Sullivan got injured can't be a good sign. I realise it could be because no, it was ill-tempered. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, Will, if that's true. Because if, if if there was a case where the Irish team were getting kicked around the place and then next thing, like, Denise O'Sullivan goes down injured and it's from another foul, there could be just a case of, 
what the hell with this? Like, I mean, what are we doing here? This is just putting us at danger. You know, as opposed to it being, we need to get Denise to hospital. You know, like, I think you hear the word hospital again, it puts fear in, but she's gone for a scan on an injury. It's not madly unusual that she would go to hospital, you know, straight after the game. They need to figure these things out quickly, you know. So I think we're in an information vacuum at the moment. It's the middle of the night in Australia. I think we have to be wary. There's a natural fear when, if not Ireland's most important player, then very bloody close to Top it, two, definitely. is gone down with an injury and has gone to hospital a few days before our first game in the World Cup. But until we hear the results of that, we don't know what's going to happen. A shin, it's a, it's a strange, in some ways, a strange place to get an injury, you know, that isn't just like a cut or, God forbid, a break or something, you know. So I'm interested as to what the scan does show, but hopefully it's minor enough. You know, again, there wasn't media there, so we're hearing a lot of secondhand reports. So what can, like, is there a chance that she hobbled off? You know, is there a chance she was carried off? Again, we're hearing lots of different things. And I think until we hear from Vera Pell, we don't know the details. Yeah. Now look, it is possible, Richie, those two tackles that resulted in yellow cards could have been very soon before it happened. And maybe this yeah. is like the third strike and we're off the pitch at that stage. Yeah, I'd imagine it's probably something along those lines. But as Mick mentioned, it's kind of difficult to speculate when, like, I've seen a couple of photos turn up in the Colombian media that's attached to those quotes from that particular player. Um, and that's basically all we've seen. And there's nothing necessarily of, of anybody on a stretcher being carried off around like that. So, unfortunately, we're left waiting. What is it? Uh, just under six hours until Vera talks. It's the um, last thing you want, though, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's like when you heard yeah. it this morning, like, and it was just oh God, Denise O'Sullivan's gone to the hospital and it's like, you don't want to hear any player at yeah. that stage, but when you hear Denise O'Sullivan, you're like, Jesus Christ, we're not too far off like Roy Keane in that, le you know, before the World Cup in this regard, like, you know, and you're just like, Jesus Christ, of all things that could happen to them. Yeah, potentially you know? losing a court. Again, hopefully it's nothing, it. but just the fear that it inspires Yeah, for us like, fans I suppose, for want of a better word at this stage. Yeah, it's just, it's one of the things well, Mick, you just don't expect uh, that nature of tackling a game like this a couple of games ago sure maybe two or three weeks out from the World Cup but you're thinking when the teams have already arrived on Australian soil they've made an agreement that they're going to play a bench 11 and a first 11 you're thinking that's going to be played in a competitive but pretty good spirit yeah. and the last thing you're expecting is players to be getting injured a few days out from the World Cup but here we are here we are yeah hopefully it's nothing 59th minute, uh, France continued to lead against Ireland in Cape Town uh, by 31 points to 14. So Ireland very much up against it uh, going into the uh, closing stages of that game. Um, Richie, elsewhere, Wimbledon today. We got the dream final that Luke Jensen wanted last night. Alcaraz against Djokovic. Yeah, Carlos Alcaraz threw to his first ever Wimbledon final at just his third attempt at the All England Club. We should remind ourselves as well. The men's top seed beat third seed Dana Medvedev pretty comprehensively 6 3, 6 3, 6 3. This this evening and Alcaraz will play Novak Djokovic in Sunday's decider the defending champion reached his ninth Wimbledon final with a 6-3, 6-4, win over Yannick Sinner this afternoon Two pretty comprehensive victories Mick mm. but this is the coming force versus the potential history maker on Sunday Yeah it's exactly what you want isn't it yeah. So like Djokovic is going for his eighth Wimbledon title obviously which would tie Federer's record but the fact that it's also tying the uh, Federer and Borg five in a row oh yeah no, the the Grandstand, well, overall, grand, overall grandstand, but even just in Wimbledon to tie the the two fives in a row. 
that like when Borg did it would never be done again and then Federer did it and like now to be done again even so soon and with the year out like there's a chance that he should have done this already you know who would have beaten him in that year God knows but uh, obviously there wasn't the tournament that year so like I was saying this earlier <laughs> the hard shoulder like it's I think we need to start getting our heads around the fact that just because he's not the most liked person in the world that Novak Djokovic isn't the greatest tennis player of all time. You know, all the numbers are one thing, you know, and it's not the strongest era for the sport and it doesn't have that much depth, especially as, you know, Federer and Nadal have got older. But, God, like, it's... Uh, it's relentless. Isn't it? Like, even the fact that it's only his ninth um, final mm. and he's going for his eighth win. I didn't realise he'd only lost one final. And the you thing know? as well is Melbourne tended to be where he was dominant up until recent years. Yeah. And now Wimbledon has become very much his palace as well. And Richie, they were showing us uh, some footage of Djokovic earlier on. And like, I don't know how much you read into just being mm. a defeat on centre court, but Andy Murray was the last man to defeat him now 10 years ago on centre court. Uh, that is an intimidating record when he gets into the business end of Wimbledon. It is, yeah. But if there's anybody who... like. He- Alluded to it in his post-match interview, Alcaraz. If there's anybody who won't be overawed by that kind of stat, it's him. He seems a very assured player. He's not one of the, I guess, the chase and pack that have, like, if you look at the, maybe the Sittles, where they want to, you know, curse them forever, the likes of Tsitsipas and Zverev and um, others who have come close to Milos Raonic, for instance, who've come close to breaking that bubble and not really broken through. Alcaraz already... Uh, has done that. He's got a slam to his name, and he's he's going to win more. And judging by the way he played this afternoon, like he he didn't put away no mug today. Yeah, uh, Daniel Medvedev is a very good player and have been playing very good tennis throughout the course of the last uh, week and a half. Like th- th- that was exceptional. And from watching the first set, Alcaraz took a while to find his feet. Like he was, he was there was almost a sense of he was feeling Medvedev out. He was feeling the occasion out. I know Andrew Castle and others made mention of the the fact that he had butterflies there, and it was it was very visible in the first three games. After that, like Jesus, looked like like I mentioned there, it's his third time at the All England Club, mm. and he looks like a guy who he's been there five, six, seven years. And you think about the amount of time that it took Nadal to turn his clay court form into. Not able, not only being able to get into the second week of Wimbledon, but being able to turn himself into a Wimbledon winner, that took longer than Alcaraz has done. Did so for him to possibly get a victory on Sunday would be immense. Yeah, but I think that if he isn't, I was going to ask you actually what his kind of form has been because I saw him a good bit early in the tournament and he didn't look like he mm. was firing on all cylinders. And I think there is an element of getting used to grass, but the great players do tend to do that eventually. Uh, whereas like. I think Nadal, yeah. it might have taken him a little bit longer. I'm not sure. Like, he made Wimbledon finally. He was beaten in straight sets by Federer, but that was quite early in his career. And then I think the next year was the legendary five-setter until late at night. But maybe it was a couple of years after um, uh, where Alcaraz is now. But Nadal figured out a way to play on grass because he wasn't about it being, you know, one great surface player. He was one of the great players of all time. And it is the big mm. test, isn't it? Like, if, you, if he's getting better on grass so that he's going in as a viable... Uh, contender on Sunday against Djokovic then that's a sign that this like Alcaraz is for real Mm. you know there's loads of guys who've come in as like a US Open champion and a world number one who does well on the tour and then come in and they never have an effect at Wimbledon you know but if you're if you're someone who can overcome that and get to the final for the tennis agnostics out there like you have to kind of remember and remind yourself that they only play on the surface really three weeks of the year like the rest of the year, it's all hard courts and clay courts and they play maybe one or two warm ups, usually only one for the top players. 
and then come in and play Wimbledon. And it's such a weird, freakish surface compared to the others. Uh, it has so many variables attached to it, and particularly when you have the roof over centre court too and the moisture and, and humidity that goes along with that. Like It's a very different beast uh, for them for them to be able to come, come around and be a top player on grass in that short space of time speaks volumes to the player that he is and will be touch wood throughout the rest of his career. And Sunday is going to be that first test of his. It's going to be, it feels like it's, it's, it's almost like that 08 final where Federer is the man that you want, like that wants to be toppled almost. And Djokovic is there to, to be knocked off his birch. And if there is anybody going to do it, he was scuppered by injury at the French, which kind of mm. stopped it from happening there. I, th- I think it could happen on Sunday. Really? I thought it might be a year too soon. I, I did today. Today, today's blown me away. To be honest, today's blown me away. I, I, he just looked so comfortable against an excellent player. Um, mm. Daniel Medvedev is, is a very, very, very good player, and will probably win a few more slams himself. But it looked almost easy for Alcaraz today, and that's that's saying something. Spygate adds a little bit extra to this as well. The fact that Alcaraz's dad has been doing a little bit of spying on Novak Djokovic, knowing he's the potential. <laughs> There's nothing like a bit of spying in sport to kind of get the. To, <laughs> yeah, to, I mean, Bielsa is probably the king. Bielsa, Belichick, anyone else? There used to be people up trees at training sessions and stuff like you that. You also this in, in GA, particularly that guy who turns up at the training session. You're not quite <laughs> sure who he is. He's a scout for the other team. But again, in this case, I don't know if you can uh, learn any extra info on Djokovic. There's yeah, thousands of hours of film. A yeah, little bit of video there for on Djokovic, absolutely, yeah. But again, it adds that bit of spice that he's been there. Uh, France have got themselves a penalty uh, pretty directly in front of goal here. They continue to lead by 31 points to 14. Uh, we're into the 65th minute of the game. Uh, they've decided to take this one at the post and that ball is going to drift just to the left. Ireland have uh, managed to scramble it under the post. Uh, so Ireland have a chance to clear their lines. France continue to lead by 31 points to 14. Uh, tonight's football, Richie, and all of the Irish teams involved in Europe this week, but uh, action across the top two flights tonight here at home. Yeah, and a potentially feisty Dublin derby at Talca Park tonight as Shelburne welcome Bohemians. Bows are unchanged from last week's win over Dundalk. Evan Caffrey and Luke Byrne come back in for Shells. Bow striker Jonathan Afalabi has scored in each of his last three outings. And speaking to Stephen Doyle on the LOI match day pod, Paddy Kirk hopes Afalabi can continue that streak tonight. Absolutely, yeah. Like everyone at the clubs, you know, delighted for Johnny. You see what he does if you're, if you're maybe from the outside, if you're not watching him every week, you, it could be you thinking, ah. Oh, as a striker, you need more. But Johnny's been unbelievable for us in terms of his what he brings. There's you know, very few strikers who have the qualities he's had. So for Johnny to now add goals is has been brilliant for him. But you know, Declan always reassured Johnny that in the dressing room, you know, that he brings a lot more than than just goals, and we're not relying on him for goals. Um, so, but yeah, for Johnny to now add goals, it's 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 massive um, for him and for the group. And elsewhere across the two divisions, Rich. Yeah. Yeah, tonight's other top flight encounter sees bottom side UCD play Drogheda United. First division leaders Galway United are away to Athlone Town. Cove Ramblers have made the odyssey to Bally Buffet to face Finn Harps. Bray Wanderers are at home to Wexford tonight, but an unplayable Markets Field pitch has seen Treaty United's game with second place Waterford postponed. <laughs> it don't We're even games in the it's middle, the of, middle July of July for waterlogged pitches. <sighs> stupid country we live in. <laughs> like summer football, there's probably fewer games cancelled in winter football than we're getting at the moment, but. Bloody hell, today is like a November day in fairness, but there you go. 
Um, Scottish Open then, Richie. The Irish reasonably prominent here, including uh, Nathan Murphy's favourite man in the world, Padraig Harrington, who even gave him a retweet about his putting <laughs> green last night. Oh, he didn't, did he? Oh, he God, did. we're never going to hear the end of this. Never going to hear the end of this. I have to say, lads, I listen at home on Thursdays. I work from home on Thursdays and I listen to the news round. And Jesus Christ, someone needs to curb in Nathan Murphy and his golf talk at the news round. It's like he's been waiting all week know, to get right? on air and then he gets all excited. It's like, ah, golf for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's his kids, I feel. Pretty for much, that's the most accurate impression I've heard of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting dragged to Marley Park all the time now to watch Dad put. <laughs> To watch him put. Come on, watch that. Jesus put. Christ, those Watch me take this put. <laughs> um, but on the course, before we end up talking about the statue for Patrick yeah, Harrington again. On the course. Sure, Patrick Harrington. Uh, sorry, Maury McElroy is the clubhouse leader as day two of the Scottish Open winds down. He'll go into the weekend on 10 under par following a second round of 66 today. Patrick Harrington also shot a 66 today, possibly due to his practice at Marley Park. He moved to seven under par. Shane Larry has dragged himself back into a semblance of contention on five under. He shot a 64 today. And Tom McKibben is just above the projected cut mark. Uh, looks indeed that the uh, County Down man will make the weekend. He is on two under par. Inevitability about this, Mick. Rory plays well in Scotland. The Open comes round. The conversation becomes, well, he's won in Liverpool before. Yeah. It feels that all the stars have aligned and then it all goes wrong. No, it's all going to go right. You think he's going to win next week? Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely do. Because he's the. I think he's the best player in the world at the moment and I feel like eventually it's going to happen for him and that he will come around. It'll like it'll all come together over the course of the week. So you still haven't been burned by the last eight to nine years then? No, nope, not at all. Encouraged, I would say. <laughs> he still believes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's been happening at the Tour de France, Richie? Um, actually, before you tell us, there is a very special uh, cycling panel which is going to be on uh, with JD uh, tomorrow, including uh, two fantastic Irish cyclists, Eddie Dunbar and Dan Martin. But what's been happening uh, at the Tour de France today, Richie? Yeah, today Pogacar has halved the gap on Tour de France leader Jonas Vingegaard to just nine seconds. The Slovenian was third on today's 13th stage, which finished at the summit of the Grand Colombier. The stage itself was won by Paul Michael Kipiatkowski. Uh, this one kind of jumped out a little bit. Kyle Walker's going to Bayern Munich. Looks like it, at least anyway. Kyle Walker has agreed terms with Bayern Munich. The Manchester City fullback is into the final year of his contract at City. He turned 33 in May. Uh, Walker has been offered a two-year deal at Bayern with the option of a third. His move to the Allianz Arena could well see Benjamin Pavard go the other way. It's an interesting wow. change for them. Uh, going to one gone, Walker gone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I figured they might move on from Walker, but it's interesting now because Cancelo's obviously been sent back yeah, Bayern uh, didn't have any interest. I wonder, could, would Pep to say, here, come on, you know, you were right back originally. I'll reinvent you, buddy. Come on, under my wing. We'll make up and be friends. And suddenly Cancelo is the best player in the Premier League again. Maybe. He's full back in the Premier League, I should say. It kind of felt like Cole Walker had fallen a little bit out of favour. Yeah, but he, kept, he was still playing in like 90% of the big games, wasn't he? Like, you know, uh, yeah, it's a surprising move. Like, but It's the contract thing, I think, because he did at City, they're at his age, he's only going to get rolling one years. Yeah. Whereas Bayern have basically gone, here's two, the option of a third. And, you know, probably on pretty favourable terms as well. So you're at 33, you've won also, everything with it's City. A, it's a make for Harry Kane. You know, <laughs> play, play, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> go on your play dates with Kyle. He can Former speak English. Former teammates, local you know, database. England teammates. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, there you go. There you go. Someone to learn Reunion. the lingo with. Um, one final one, Richie. Arsenal have completed. I think it's their third signing of the summer in uh, Timber coming in from Ajax today. 
doing decent business for Arsenal. They've completed that 40 million euro capture of Urien Timber from Ajax. Could well be another 5 million tacked onto that based on various add-ons. The Netherlands right back has signed a five-year deal at the Emirates. Declan Rice will follow him in the indoor. Richie. Where the hell is Rice? Uh, West Ham are giving out about this and, and Arsenal were like, it'll be tomorrow, it'll be tomorrow. Tomorrow's come and gone. Hmm. Still no Rice. It's, it, uh, it's a paperwork thing. Uh, it's the, uh, the most boring the reasons, yeah. But weren't the reports continual? It was like Declan Rice has arrived at Arsenal for his medical. Office it's honestly the the it's it's the writing of the contract. Right. Okay. Arsenal are being very very careful apparently. All right. About ten minutes to go. Uh, France have gone over for another try. They ah, lead now by thirty six points to fourteen. A very difficult conversion to come, but France are in uh, what feels like a very much a winning position uh, now in this World Under Twenty final. Richie, thanks a million for joining us. Nice and gents. We'll see you in a little bit again, Mick.